Good morning, church. Are you happy to be alive today? Well, today we're going to be looking into Psalm 103 briefly, and we're going to read responsibly from this beloved psalm. And uh, would we invite you at this time, if you would just stand with us for the reading of Psalm 103 before we sing our first hymn this morning, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Psalm 103 begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless, Bless the Lord, Lord O my soul, and forget, forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And if you are forgiven today, you should praise the Lord. If you're healed today, or I've ever been healed, you should bless the Lord. If you are here today and you know you're saved, you know you're, you're delivered, you should bless the Lord. If you're here today and you feel honored by the fact that God has given you His loving kindness and tender mercies, you should bless the Lord today. And if you had a good breakfast or a good dinner or a good lunch yesterday, the Lord has satisfied your mouth with good things. He's fed you really good. You should bless the Lord for that today. Those are just five blessings to just prime the pump this morning, to bless the Lord this morning. And so we don't need to give you, the Bible just gives us five right there. And that's enough for us to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So let's do that this morning as we sing praise to the Lord the Almighty.
Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. As we continue from the end of Psalm 103 now, and it says that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion bless the lord oh my soul we're here in the presence of the king today his kingdom is over all he has established his throne in the heavens let's praise him today
Hallelujah. You may remain standing for our opening prayer, after which you may be seated. Morning. Uh, bow with me, please. Father, we are here this morning because we need you. Lord, we need your mercy for our sin. We need your grace so that we may be blessed. Lord, we acknowledge that we, we earn nothing from you. Everything from your hand is by your grace. And so, Lord, we are here today because we need you and to thank you and to celebrate everything that you have done for us. You've brought us back this week. You have blessed us. You bless us every day, and you blessed us 2,000 years ago with the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and you bless us with the gospel. Father, we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we ask that as we listen today, as we as we praise you, as we hear your word, that our hearts would be, would be pricked, our consciences uh, would be convicted of any sin in our life, and that we would repent and we would just turn around and give you the honor and the glory that you deserve through a holy life, God. Lord, we ask your blessing on the rest of this service. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, Calvary. This morning, I woke up, I actually bathed, put on a suit and tie for everybody, actually combed my hair. Let's try again. Good morning, Calvary. Thank you. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? To worship him? Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank you very much for coming here. Uh, Calvary Bible Church is a place where we love and worship the Lord. And we like to extend hospitality um, to everyone, our regular attenders and our visitors. And at this point in time, we'd like to um, ask any of our visitors just to raise their hands so we can formally welcome you and extend some good Calvary hospitality. Raise your hands right up, just like me. Great. Okay, I recognize one strange face. I think it's our brother Larry Ford. Strange! I saw him this morning. I said, good morning, Mr. Ford. And he looked at me strangely. And he, and he said, I said, um, you know how come I know your last name? He said, I have no idea. I said, it's because you're famous. How are you feeling today, Mr. Ford? You sure? No stomachache? No headache? Okay, I want to extend some hospitality to you, okay? If this afternoon you don't feel well for any reason, give me a call and I'll take your place. My name is Paul, my, my name is Paul Wall. Okay, and the choir can tell you all about me. All right, give me a fantastic reference. You heard? Okay. Oh, uh, Brother Errol, please come up. Brother Errol has an announcement in connection with the church picnic. morning church all right um this i mean it's been wonderful so far the service hasn't it been i mean the music i mean it's been just outstanding i, I mean i think we should give those guys another hand very well very well all right so just a quick announcement on the um the church picnic you may have seen it in the bulletin it's coming up on the 13th of july which is a saturday and uh it's going to be held again at nirvana beach and as we have done in past years we're going to be providing buses here at the uh, parking lot as noted, it says we're going to be leaving 10 o'clock from here in the morning to go to the beach, and they'll be leaving from the beach at 5 o'clock in the evening to come back. So if you need to use the buses, you can make arrangements, but if you don't want to, you can drive out there if you want to and park. There's ample parking and uh, space for you to be there. So it's a free event for everybody. It's going to be fun. The Lord has blessed us these last couple of times. We've had it with beautiful weather, and, I mean, we've had good crowds from everybody. The kids have been having a good time. So if you don't have to work, Please mark your calendar. Come out and fellowship with us. It's going to be a great time in the Lord. Thank you. Okay. I do encourage you to uh, join us in that time of fellowship. And please see Brother Errol and give generously as usual. Because um, Calvary is famous for good food and a good time. And we enjoy one another's company. Let's make sure we do it this year again. Okay, at this time... Um, I'd like the um, children for Junior Church to dismiss. And please, greet one another with a great hug, a holy kiss, and Brother Ford, don't forget, me and you.
time for a pastoral prayer and congregational prayer. So we ask you to prepare your hearts for that. Do we have that for the screen today? No, okay. But what I'll do today is I will lead in prayer and call the names as I go along. And you can pray as the Lord leads you as we call each name. And we invite you to participate because this is a time for the people of God in a corporate fashion to come before the throne of grace the privilege that has been granted to us through the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood on our behalf. The scriptures tell us, especially in the book of Hebrews, that through his blood he entered into the very presence of God. Thankfully, he left the way open for us to follow after him. Our great high priest, we can come as priests to pray for ourselves and on behalf of others. So please... I ask you to bow your head now and ask the Spirit of God to lead and to guide you and to touch your heart and mind as we go before the throne of grace. Our Father, it is with joy that we come before you today, and it is with heartfelt thanks and with praise and adoration as well, because we know that we could only come into your presence because of the covering of the blood of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself as a sacrifice for us on Calvary's cross. And we praise you for that today. We thank you for who he is, the God of this universe, the creator, the sustainer, the reconciler of all things, the one who holds this universe together by his word, by his very presence. We thank you for who he is. And we stand in awe before you today as we seek to seek your face, your hand of blessing to be upon us as your people, especially here at Calvary Bible Church. We thank you for your good hand upon this ministry. Over more than 50 years now, Father, we praise you and we thank you for that. And we ask that your good hand may continue to rest upon us. We thank you for those whom you brought out this morning to worship together, to fellowship together, and to hear your word and to respond in keeping with your will. We come now, our Father, realizing that you are the God who hears and answers prayer. And we take time now to thank you for the prayers that you have answered, for which we have prayed in the past, for those you have healed as a result of our prayer, for those that you have reconciled and blessed because of our prayer. We thank you and we praise you for this. And we begin our time together by praising you for Matteo Smith, Brad and Darlene's son, who's at home now and doing well. We thank you for your good hand upon him in the past and bringing him to his point. And pray that his health might continue to improve and that he might be able to be restored fully in keeping with your will. We pray for those who are bereaved at this time to our fathers. We think of Delano Higgs and his family as they grieve the loss of his cousin, And we pray, our Father, for his aunt Alice as she adjusts to the unexpected loss of her son. May you, as the God of all comfort, put your strong arms around this family and comfort them during this time of bereavement. We pray for David Russell, the same, in the loss of his cousin, Vern Cates of Corner Key. We pray, Lord, again, that you might comfort them as only you can. Use this as an opportunity to bring everyone closer to you and closer to one another as well. 
Our Father, we pray again for those who have been treated for cancer. We prayed for these many, many times, and we pray again. And we thank you for the fact that you have heard prayer and continue to answer in bringing peace and bringing comfort to them. We think of Winnie Malone. We think of Vicki Roberts, Rochelle McCabe, Jean Knowles, Leah Pinder, Mariah Russell, Kenny Sawyer, Antonique Cooper, Judy Robinson, Gary Springle. Lord, we bring all these before you again as they undergo these very difficult treatments for cancer. We pray your good hand of blessing and healing upon them. We pray for our shut-ins as well. Gerald Albury, we thank you, Father, that he is uh, back home now and recuperating. We thank you for restoring him at this point and pray that you might continue to do so as well. We pray for Vera Bain, Pleasant Butler, Winnie Collins, Douglas Darling, Pastor Ed Gadet, Viola Pinder, and Annie Sands. Father, we pray for Jan, too, as she continues to care for Kenny. We pray for strength and encouragement on her part. And may this be an experience that you use to bring her into a closer relationship with you and to make her even more Christ-like. We pray for the same for Kenny, again, that you might put your good hand of healing upon him and restore him to health in keeping with your will. Pray for Douglas Darling. We pray again, our Father, for Clarice Roll, recuperating from eye surgery. Think of Jennifer Roberts as well. Think of Idina Burris, of Sally Colebrook, of Rosie Roberts. All of these, Father, continue to wait upon you for complete healing for their particular need. Pray again for Jonathan Roll, uh, this young fellow who is of an urban renewal, band who is undergoing therapy in Florida. We ask your blessing and your protection and healing upon him. Pray for Betty Russell. She's waiting for test results. We pray for a good report. And may her faith in you continue to increase for your glory. We pray for our family members here at Calvary Bible Church on our prayer list. William and Sonia Saunders, Angelica and Colleen, the kids. We ask your blessing upon this family that you might provide for their needs and give protection in keeping with your will. Our missions, our Father, we pray for Andre and Elena Rylak of HCJB in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We pray for provision of funds, provision of personnel, resources, all that is needed so that your word might be spread there in Argentina. We pray for the drama ministry here at Calvary Bible Church. And we pray, Lord, that you might use this ministry to bring a blessing to your people and to use it to cause your, those who are involved to grow and to become more Christ-like as they seek to honor and to praise you in their life. And now, Father, we think of those in our families and, our, and in our friends who do not know you. And as we think upon them and call them by name right now, Father, in our hearts and our minds, we ask that you might save them by your grace. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and place faith in Jesus Christ. So, as we pray now, beloved, we ask you to do that. Call a family member who's unsaved, a friend, an associate who does not know Christ. Call them by name right now before the throne of grace. Call upon God to save them for his glory and for their salvation.
And as you've already been encouraged, take time to praise God for his blessings upon your life. For whatever it may be, thank him right now. Praise him. And praise him not only for what he has done and is doing in, and your, in your life and for you, but also praise him and thank him for who he is. Focus upon our Savior today, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords, King of kings, the one who is the express image of the invisible God. Praise him today. Ask the Spirit of God to cause you to see him as you've never seen him before so that we might become just a little bit more like him. We might grow in our knowledge of him so that we might have an an intimate relationship with him. Pray for that right now. Father, you've heard our prayers. We ask now that you might continue to bless this service. May it continue to bring you praise and glory and honor. And as the word is open today, again we pray for your Holy Spirit to illuminate all of us so that we might be able to understand your word and as a result see Jesus Christ in your word so that we might be drawn closer to him so that we might become more like him we may go from glory to glory for our good and for your glory and all of God's people said Amen at this time glad to do that I was thinking about Jesus and the message that we were thinking about really Father thank you for your good hand upon us thank you for all that we have because it is yours thank you for all that we are because we are yours we pray now that as we give as a reflection of the faithfulness as a good start before you you might use what we give to glorify you through this ministry here at Calvary Bible Church. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.
This past week, our senior pastor and his lovely wife have celebrated 53 years of marriage. And so we bless the Lord for that. And I can't imagine what it is to be married more than I've been alive. Um, <laughs> but um, we thank God for Pastor Lee and for Sister Nancy. May God continue to bless you in your marriage, Pastor Lee. Amen. Well, from the sounds of Grand Opera to the stages of Southern Gospel, uh, Larry Fords uh, has found uh, audiences around the world respond responding to his commanding voice. He's originally from Texas, and his work has taken him to 49 of the 50 states in the United States and all around the world. In fact, his passion for ministry has led to him be, being called the Gospel Music's ambassador to the world. And so we're delighted and privileged to have him back here at Calvary Bible Church. This is actually his fourth visit to Calvary Bible Church, and uh, we are so delighted. He'll be back with us for a concert this evening at 6.30, and so uh, we want to invite you back here to enjoy the ministry of Brother Larry Ford. It is sure to be both inspiring and encouraging to you and your family. But at this time, Brother Larry Ford in ministry. Please welcome him. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am so thankful. You know, um, I appreciate you memorizing all that stuff I told you to say about me. I really do. That's 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 uh, gracious. I um, was uh, kind of taken back this morning as I came in, and I, as I've gotten to know you pretty well here through the years, coming back time after time to minister to you, until I walked into Pastor's office this morning and was confronted by lots of boxes. told him, I said, you know, I heard that you were making a departure, or at least moving around, adjusting here. I said, I hope, hope it doesn't happen to you like it happened to me when I had all my boxes loaded in the front of my house. I said, just about the time I was starting to carry them out, God slammed the door in my face. Oh, yeah. No kidding. But God knows best. You know that? He always does. Now, he may be leading somewhere for you, and we thought he was leading somewhere for us, and I'm not trying to imply anything up here other than to tell you that God has a way of letting us know whether we're moving in the right direction or not. And he very rudely shut the door in my face, Brother Allen. But a few weeks later, a fellow by the name of Andrew. Remember Andrew? Big wind blew through South Miami where we were planning to move. The condo that we had put a deposit down on was not there anymore. We had not moved. And thank God he looks out after kids and dummies because I was just saying, thank you, Lord. I remember having been in Nashville, Tennessee when that happened. And I couldn't help but say, Lord, Thank you for looking out after me. Thank you for keeping your hand on me. I just pray this, Brother Allen, that God keeps his hand on you wherever he leads you to go and minister to him. I want to minister a song to you. Yeah, yeah. Ah, one more thing. I want to, working with you folks and with your choir here, I have come to a very simple conclusion this morning and uh, by last Thursday night that you folks here at Calvary Bible are spoiled rotten. 
music directors like this and pastoral leadership, it's a real joy to come here and work. Great old song written back in 1997, <laughs> old song, but it is a hymn and I love it. It simply says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. I want you to listen carefully to a beautiful, beautiful contemporary hymn. Okay. <laughs> As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold a man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life Oh, I know that it is I love those verses, but this is my favorite. I can hear the old Apostle Paul when he said, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. Oh, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. How can I gain from I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. How can I gain from him reward? I cannot give an answer, oh, but this I know.
I had a rough night last night. No, really. Our lights went off. I got up just as they went on. But I got up with a pain in my chest. And I didn't want to in any way alarm Nancy, so I started to think now, what should I do? I don't want to, you know, upset, cause any problems. And I remembered reading an email about if you have a heart attack and you're alone, what to do. You, did you all get that in email? It says about coughing with a deep breath and everything. So I said, uh, let me check that out. I go to bed with my iPad. In fact, my iPad puts me to sleep sometimes. So I got on my trusty iPad and I started to look this up. And sure enough, first thing I came across from an institution says, warning, the email that tells you about coughing and whatnot is wrong. It is a fraud. Do not listen. And it goes on and, and it, it tells us that the institute, it came from the institution that was named as the source for this. All right. So I said, okay, what am I going to do now? So I started to search and search. Then I came across something that says, don't stay in bed. Sit up. If anything, sit up. So I sat up, all right? And gradually, the pain started to dissipate. So I got up early, and I went to my computer. Because I left it, I was working on my message. And I left it to go to bed. Well, I went to the computer, looking for my message. The message was there, but it wouldn't open. Somehow, something happened with the electricity or something. And although I have all kinds of, uh, uh, what do you call these things? You, all that? It still affected my computer. I couldn't get the message printed out, couldn't get it downloaded. And I was so disappointed because I want to be so precise about what I'm speaking about this morning. I feel so inadequate when I come to this particular passage of Scripture. If there's any time I wish I had the vocabulary of a Shakespeare or the oratory of a uh, Spurgeon, it's today. Because when I, come to first, when I come to the first chapter of Colossians, especially the verses we'll be looking at, verses 15 through 20, I feel like a little pygmy standing at the foot of Mount Everest and saying that I am going to climb to the height of this tremendous mountain. The passage of Scripture is so awesome. It gives us a picture of Jesus Christ like none other except perhaps for Revelation chapter 1 when it's described when John sees Jesus Christ with his long robe, with the belt around him and so on and the magnificent picture that is given there that caused him to fall down to worship. So this passage here in Colossians should cause us to do the same. And I pray that that will be the case as we look at this passage. So I encourage you, even as I speak, turn to your Bibles and look at that passage, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and read it over even as I'm speaking to you. Now, as you know, we started to look at this book last week. And we looked at the first 14 verses. And we tried to show that what Paul was emphasizing there 
was the priority of the Word of God. He prayed for these individuals at whom he had never seen, but he had heard about from Epaphras. And he prayed for them. He said every time he prayed, he thanked God for them. And then he gave us what he prayed for. He told us his prayer. He said that he was praying that they might know God's will. They might know what God's will is with all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. You remember we showed a diagram there. I think you can see it barely on the screen. I call this the spiral of intimacy with God. Because if you take this verse and you follow its instructions, it brings you into a knowledge of God that leads you into an intimacy with God. And that's what it's all about. And Paul shows in these verses that the word of God is essential for us to establish intimacy with God. We must know his will. Now, we explained last time that God's will is revealed in his word. And so if we look at it practically, Paul is actually praying then that these Colossian believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. They might know what the word of God says about God. And he goes on, he says that he wants us to understand that with spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, it's not just the knowledge of the word, the information, but we must be able to see the implications of those words to our own life. This is where illumination comes in. Now, when we look at the word of God itself, we have the idea of revelation. The thought in the mind of God is communicated to the mind of man. Then we have inspiration. Man writes the thought of God that gets from God himself down on paper, as we say. Of course, it was, was on paper as we know it then, but he writes it down. Then we are illuminated by the Spirit of God to understand the thoughts of God that was communicated to the thought of man through divine revelation. And we are illuminated. And then this spiritual wisdom and understanding allows us to apply the Word of God to our life that is worthy of the Lord, as it says in verse 10. In other words, we hear the Word, we understand the Word, and that's key. Then we apply the Word, and we live a life that is worthy of the Lord. The result of that is we bear fruit in all good things. We continue to bear fruit in our lives. As a result of that, that leads us to an increasing knowledge of God. And as we come to know more of God, we become more intimate with him. We go to the word of God again, and the spiral continues. It's not a circle. It's a spiral that continues to get us closer and closer to God. And if you do not feel or believe that you have intimacy with God, then you are not studying the word of God. You are not reading the word of God as you should because it's only through the Word of God that this can come about. Now, last week, Brother Randy gave a message from Proverbs chapter 2 in the PM. Those of you who were here probably remembers that. I hope you do anyway, because it fitted in perfectly with the message in the morning. Randy talked about common sense, and that comes through wisdom that is given to us by God through his Word. And as we get that wisdom from God, 
and we are able to understand the Word of God, we apply it to our lives. Randy calls it common sense living. That's what Paul is saying here also in Colossians 1. The Word of God allows us to know how we are to live in a common sense fashion in the world in a way that pleases and honors God. Now, that's the priority of the Word to verse 14. We come now to verse 15, Colossians 1. This is a section that many Bible scholars believe is really an early Christian hymn. They believe actually that there are two stanzas. Two stanzas. First stanza is verse, verses 15 through 17. The second stanza is 18 through 20. The first stanza focuses on the sovereignty of God over the first creation, over the natural creation. The second stanza focuses on, not on God, well, it is God, but Jesus Christ specifically, as the Lord or the sovereign of creation, verses 7, 15 through 17. 18 through 20 focuses on Jesus Christ as the Lord or sovereign over the new creations, particularly the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking at that. Now listen, look at the verses. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. That's stanza one. Now stanza two. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Beloved, these are magnificent words. You talk about word being the bread of life. This here is the bread of life. Whole wheat. This is good stuff for you. All right? Now, one of the bedrock doctrines, of course, of the Christian faith is the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. In fact, one Bible expositor said this, and I quote him, Every other doctrine of Christianity flows out of this great truth. If the deity of Christ be denied, one has denied the heart of Christian faith and embraced heresy. End of quote. These verses here are among the many in the New Testament which clearly teach that Jesus is God. He is a member of the divine Godhead, made up of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons with one divine essence. Jesus is God, beloved. Listen again to the verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he makes visible the God you cannot see. 
That's why he could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You say, why is this so important to be emphasized today? We all believe that Jesus is God. But do you treat him as God? See, Jesus today for many is just a friend, a sidekick. He's just familiar. He's so familiar, we don't treat him with awe. We don't worship him as we should. We don't respect him as we should. You see, Jesus is God. If you want to know how God loves, look at Jesus Christ. If you want to know the mercy of God, look at Jesus Christ. Whatever it is you want to know about God, look at Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. This speaks of the incarnation. I was going to have Anton sing a Christmas carol today. Why? Because some of those Christian carols have some wonderful truths about Jesus Christ. In fact, Charles Wesley wrote a carol. He called it, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know that one, don't you? One of the lines go this way. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. What a tremendous statement this is in this carol. But we sing that, and we don't focus on those words. All we think about presents and gifts and fun and all of that. Charles Wesley, though, understood well that Jesus was God. He was God in the flesh, God incarnate. Beloved, we have to treat Jesus Christ for who he is. He is divine. He is God. Yes, he is our friend, but he is also our God. Yes, he is our brother but he is also our God. He is the one we must bow before in humble adoration and understand that he is greater than we are. He is. Although he took on our likeness, beloved, Jesus Christ is God. We must treat him as such. We must watch how we call his name. If it's one name that we should not call in vain, it is the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, many of us call his name in vain just by calling ourselves Christian. We call ourselves Christian, but we don't live Christ-like. In fact, we do disgrace to his name. And many people are drawn away by the way we live rather than drawn to him. You're calling the name of Jesus Christ in vain when you live contrary to who he is and what he is. He is the image of the invisible God. You see, Paul is interested to show these Colossians that Jesus is, a, is the master and controller of the universe. And he could only be that if he is God and not a part of that universe himself. And that's what he emphasizes here. Although Jesus Christ... He, is the creator of the universe. He's not a part of the universe. He is sovereign. He is over creation. He is not a part of it. And that's important for the, book of, for the people at Colossae because they were being taught that Jesus Christ was a God. He was an emanation from God. He was not God, perfect God, pure God. He was, part, he, he was just an emanation from God way down the line. 
I want to get too technical here, but he was not God. He was a part of God's creation. Paul is anxious to show that this was not so. And he uses the word of God to do that, and he's left it here for us. He's doing that so we might know how to become more intimate with God. He's doing this so that we might know God in all his fullness. Paul also wants the Colossian believers to know how to move towards spiritual maturity. And he's saying here that our knowledge of the person of Christ is essential to this. See, Paul is afraid that they will lose this true vision of Jesus Christ. So here in these verses, the apostle describes Jesus' nature as God. He describes his work as creator and also his ongoing relationship with his creation. Now, elsewhere in the scriptures, the writer of the Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the effulgence of God's glory. I love that expression. The effulgence of God's glory. This means both that Jesus is the very essence of God himself. He does not merely reflect the image or the glory of God. He is the image and glory of God. Same way we can say that the Bible does not contain the word of God. It is the word of God. So we must recognize that Jesus does not only merely reflect the image and the glory of God. He is God, and he is the glory of God. Jesus exudes or radiates the glory of God. It comes from within his very being, his very nature. Therefore, I say again, Jesus does not merely reflect the divine image. He radiates and generates this image. In the words of the Apostle Paul said elsewhere, in him dwell the fullness or the completeness of the Godhead in bodily form. Fully, completely, absolutely, Jesus Christ is God. Listen carefully, because today we live in a world where there's a lot of error being taught. No one can knowingly and willingly deny the deed of Jesus Christ and at the same time claim that he or she is Christian. Now notice, I says, willfully deny, knowingly and willfully deny the deity of Christ, and at the same time claim that he or she is Christian. In fact, no religious group can deny the deity of Christ and accurately say that it is a Christian group. The best you can say it is a Christian cult. Christianity, my beloved, is grounded upon the fact of the deity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus were not God, then he was just another human religious fraud who claimed to be what he wasn't and promised to be what he could not deliver. But Jesus is God. He says he is who he said he was, and therefore he can do what he said he will do. This, therefore, separates us right away from those who claim that God cannot have a son. Or that to say that God is a father is to say something that is immoral and heretical. That's what Islam says. That's why we must understand that Jesus Christ is unique. Paul here is very clear. Jesus is the essence of the invisible God. 
He is the God-man who made, in, who made the invisible God visible. And so he could say without fear of contradiction, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Friends, listen, in this day in which we live, reject any preacher or religious group who denies this essential doctrine of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ is God. Now that's Jesus' relationship to the Godhead. Paul next describes Jesus' relationship to creation. He says he is the firstborn over all creation. Now this is a very interesting and for many perplexing term, terminology here. This also, though, focuses on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Some have misconstrued this phrase to teach that Jesus was the first of all created things, that he was the first of all creation, the first creature, in other words, to be created by God. Several cults teach this today. They teach that he is a creature that was created by God. They teach that he was a God created by the God. Some teach that he is the brother of the devil. Of course, Satan, Lucifer, was created. So that means that Jesus Christ was created. Beloved, that's heresy. That is not true. But it's taught by leading uh, organization today. Now, while it is true that the word firstborn is used to describe Jesus Christ as the firstborn of Mary, meaning that he was the first child born to Mary. The Bible also, the New Testament, also teaches that this word firstborn has another meaning. In fact, it is the more prominent meaning in the New Testament. And it means heir or owner or the possessor. And so what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ is the heir, the possessor, or the owner of creation. In fact, this is the most common use of the word firstborn in the New Testament. Jesus is the heir, the owner, and possessor of all creation. Now, some also see this as being a reference to the truth taught by Paul in verse 18. Where Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. John repeats the same thing in Revelation 1.5, and Paul states in Romans 8.29 that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. Now all of these statements point to the fact that Jesus is supreme over his creation, supreme over his church, and supreme over the resurrection. Therefore, he's the one who is truly worthy of our worship. It's an interesting thought here to have the idea that Jesus is the owner or the possessor of creation. He is the only one who has really been resurrected from the, from the dead. Others have been resuscitated, if you want. But Jesus Christ is the only one who has been raised and given a new transformed body. That's why he's called the firstborn among those who believe the first fruit. He is the owner of the resurrection, life. He himself, because he is the only one to enjoy true resurrection. Paul gives a reason, though, for Jesus' supremacy over his creation in the next verse. It says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Now this clearly shows that Jesus could not be part of God's creation for the simple reason that he created all things, all of them. All things were created by him. And therefore, as the creator of all things, he cannot be a part of the all that he created. He is separate and apart from what he has created. He is the creator of all things. He is not a part of all that was created. Notice the, the words by and for. Jesus is both the agent or originator of creator and the purpose for creation as well. My friends, the entire cosmos was made by him and for him. Some wonderful things are being discovered today in astronomy and so on. Wonderful things. And all of it points to the fact that there was a creator. Paul is telling us that creator of this vast universe is Jesus Christ himself. Now, when it says that he created all things, it doesn't only mean that the cosmos, the cosmos. This includes more than merely the material universe around us. It's more than the stars and the galaxies and the planets and the solar systems, or even the trees and the grass and the mountains and the sea and the sand. He, it includes both earth and heaven, visible things and invisible things, things you can see and things that you cannot. It includes also all of the forces, all of the powers in the universe. Electricity was invented by Jesus Christ before the creation of the world. He created radiation. He created magnetism and the peculiar, mysterious dance of the electrons from one level of energy to another. Within the atom that makes light, Jesus created all of these things. We cannot see the atom, but we know it's there. All these were designed and brought into being by the eternal Son of God. Now, why is Paul making such an emphasis of this truth? It is because of the heresy that was being taught by false teachers. Listen to this quote from a prominent scholar. He says, quote, The Colossians began to believe, because of the Greek teachers among them, that the universe consisted of a hierarchy of angels. One must begin down at the bottom with raunchy, unpleasant angels and work one's way up to the whole hierarchy, to the good angels, and finally to God. From that idea has come the Eastern concept of reincarnation, for that too was part of the Colossian heresy. See, they thought that these emanations from God got less and less, became more and more evil and more and more impure and unlike God, the further away they got away from God. They taught, actually, that Jesus was probably closer to Lucifer than he was to God himself, you see. And they came in of all kinds of teachings concerning stars and astrology. All of you who look at astrology every morning before you get up, you're denying that Jesus Christ is the one who sustains and guides this universe. You see, all of that came from the occult, the denying of who Jesus Christ is. Here's the point. Jesus Christ is in charge of all life, not the stars. 
The stars do not determine our destiny. Jesus Christ does. Nothing can happen in history or in space without his permission. He rules over all things everywhere at all times. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that there's coming a day when every knee everywhere will bow and acknowledge this fact to the glory of God the Father. That will be acknowledged. You know, it's amazing. They are trying to find the origin of life. Now they believe in the Big Bang. Actually, many Christians are accepting this theory of the Big Bang because the idea now is that something happened long ago that started everything in motion and so on. And they're trying to find that first energy, piece of energy, that started it as far as they're concerned. And they build this gigantic machine to find it. And you know what they called it? Because they finally found it, they said. You know what they called it? The God particle. Isn't that amazing? The God particle. They can't see it, but they know it's there. Isn't that amazing? Take the atom. You know, for a long time, they couldn't divide, they couldn't split the atom. Because they'd see it, they couldn't see it, and they didn't have anything powerful enough to do it. But finally, they were able to do it. But they said, whatever it is that keeps this little thing that we cannot see together must be supremely powerful. You know what the Bible tells us? It is Jesus Christ who holds that together. He holds it together by the word of his power. Friends, listen, if it were possible to do away with Jesus Christ, none of us would be here. You wouldn't be able to sit on that bench because that bench would disintegrate into nothing. And even the nothing would disintegrate into nothing. Because Jesus is the one who holds everything together. I'm going to read that in a moment. So many things I want to say about this, but uh, maybe that's why I lost my notes, because maybe the Lord didn't want me to say all these things. I don't know. But just think about it. One scientist said that if we took the power they use to split an atom. And it's not a big machine that splits the atom, mind you. But he said the electricity that is involved would be able to supply the city of Los Angeles for over a century. Now, that's only an estimate on their part. Probably more and more on that. Jesus Christ, as we've seen in a moment, holds everything together. We have a foolish teaching today going around that Jesus needs the permission of Satan to do anything in this world. Have you heard it? Yeah? That he needs to ask Jesus. Jesus needs to ask the devil, who's the God of this world, for permission to work in this world. If he tries to do it otherwise, he's here illegally. They must not have read Colossians. The Bible tells us that he is the creator of all things. Not only that, all things are created for him. All of these things were created for the glory of God. Everything is moving toward that time when everything that God has created will acknowledge him as creator and as God, Lord of lords and King of kings. Jesus Christ does not need anybody's permission to do anything. And that fact is just to reverse. The devil needs permission 
from him to do what he is doing. Remember the Bible tells us that the devil knows that his time is short. Who shortened that time? It was God. It was Jesus Christ. Friends, listen. Jesus is sovereign. He is in control of everything. He is the sovereign God. Verse 17 tells us that he is before all things. This means that Jesus is apart from his creation. He was there first. This tells us that he then is eternal. C.S. Lewis has said, Jesus is over creation as a king and a sovereign. He's not subject to it or part of it, but he is intimately related to it. You see, this is why when we talk about deism, deism is nowhere supported in Scripture that God just created or Jesus just created and left it alone. No, no, no. Jesus created it and he is guiding it along the path that he wants it to go. God's design will be achieved, will be completed. His plan for this universe, everything that is happening is under the control of Jesus Christ. He is a sustainer of the universe. It says, all things by him hold together. One translation says, all things are held together by him. But the Greek probably is better translated, all things by him hold together. Paul is saying that Jesus both sustains the universe and keeps it from coming apart. Scientists know that it takes incredible power to smash an atom, atom and to keep it together. Jesus Christ is the one who does it all. Something, I say, holds everything in this universe together. And he does it with enormous, incredible power. That power, according to this first stanza of this Christian hymn, is Jesus Christ himself. He has the power to sustain because he's the eternal son of the eternal God. He has the authority to rule as the sovereign, powerful Lord of our lives and needs no permission from anyone to do anything. Abraham Kuyper, who was also the president of the Netherlands, said this, and I quote him, When Jesus looks at his universe from his exalted throne at the right hand of the Father, and he sees the great galaxies whirling in space, the planets and the people upon this planet, and all minute details of life here, including the details of our individual lives, there is nothing that he sees anywhere of which he cannot say, it is mine. It is mine. Nothing anywhere. No one anywhere. Jesus looks at, it, looks at us and says, you're mine. I created you. I have power over you. I am your sovereign Lord. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ yours? Is he your Savior and your Lord? It's best to bow to him now because you're certainly going to bow to him in a day to come. Quickly now, down to the second stanza, where Christ is seen as a sovereign Lord over the new creation called his church. Listen to verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Notice that phrase is, firstborn is used again. 
so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything he might have the supremacy. He just told us that he has a supremacy over the created world, the first creation. Now he's telling us here he also has supremacy over the new creation. Beloved, Jesus is head of the church. All right? Not the pastors, not the deacons, no pope, no priest, no pastor, head of the church. Jesus Christ is head of the church, and he is the supreme head of the church. And any church that claims to be the church of Jesus Christ is only valid and is only legitimate if it is listening to the head as to the way it operates. That's all. Not to man, but to the head. The church is the new creation. A new man created the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is something entirely and eternally new, which the world had never seen before. The church is different from any other organization or any organism existing in the world. The church is the unique spiritual organism which derives its life and directions from the head, Jesus Christ. You have to see the church in that view. I think we've lost that. We see the church now as a big club. It's a place to come to have fun and to be entertained. Most people who come to a church service like this come to be entertained. They want to hear good singing. What is that? They make you clap, tap your hand, and so on. No matter what it says, no matter what the message is, but once it makes me feel good, then it's a good church service. Rubbish. You know, if you read the book of Malachi, I think it is, they had all of that going on. Big praise team, big singing, sacrifices and everything else. You know what God said to some of them? Isn't there one among you who will shut the door, close the door, and keep the people from coming to church so they can stop this nonsense? They sing all of this stuff, but their heart is far from me, and I want nothing of it. You see, my friends, listen carefully. When we lose contact with the head, then we do our own thing. And that only leads to spiritual chaos. And that's what's happening today. More churches are listening to what they call church growth experts than they are to the head of the church himself, Jesus Christ. Many look at the church then as a social institution. They join it to feel safe and secure, free from challenge, sacrifice, and commitment. They want to sit back and just say, bless me today. Hit me with it. But they don't want to be challenged in their lifestyle. They do not want to be confronted with the truth of the need for holiness of life, of being faithful to your wife, being faithful to your husband, of being obedient to your parents, of living life that is clean and pure, being free from the things of the world. I don't want to hear that. But if you hear from your head, you will have to listen to that. Listen carefully. Believers must be committed to this divine purpose, regardless of the cost of them personally. What purpose? To accomplish the purpose that the head of the church has for it. We must subject ourselves to the headship of Jesus Christ over the church. We must follow his rules not our own. He is the head of the church, not any man, whether he is priest, preacher, pastor, pope, or prophet. Jesus and Jesus Christ alone is the supreme head of the church. 
the church which is his body, not ours. This is the point that Paul is making in this passage. Jesus is the supreme sovereign of the church of Jesus Christ. We must get our direction from him. Now, you know, this is actually one of the most important statements in the Bible given concerning the church of Jesus Christ, that he is the head. And we must function in relation to him just as the members of our bodies relate to our head. To understand the church and how it should function at all, we have to do, all we have to do is think about how we function in relation to our own body. Can you function if you are in any way disassociated from your head? Of course not. You know, when I was a boy, my dad used to grow, not grow, he used to breed or whatever it is, chickens. And now and then we would eat one ourselves. And he would say, I'll go and kill a chicken. Now you know how he did it? I would go in, grab that guy, hold him by the head and wring his neck. Any of you ever did that? Now this might sound gruesome, but that's true. You wring his neck and then you cut it. But you know what the strange thing is? A chicken, after you cut his head, he don't die. He goes all about, although he is disassociated from his head, he has lost contact with his head. He still goes fluttering, all kind, doing all kinds of foolishness. That's exactly what happens when we disassociate ourselves from the head, Jesus Christ. We go around fluttering, doing our own thing, all chaotic, because we have been disassociated from our head. In fact, Paul is going to deal with that in chapter 2. He's saying to these Colossians that they have lost connection to the head. Beloved, that is the most serious thing that we could ever face as a church, to lose connection with the head, Jesus Christ. We have problems. The first thing we do is go to some psychologist or something else rather than to the Word of God, rather than prayer. Let me put out a challenge to you now. I could do this because Alice will be gone. You can't beat up on me anymore. You wouldn't have Alan Lee to kick around anymore. I'm only joking with that. One of the major things you should be doing right now is praying. Praying to God for his direction, his leadership as to who should be the senior pastor of Calvary Bible Church. Not just looking at books and seeing all of these things, but what does the head want? Who does the head want? And we should spend more time praying than doing anything else. Because if we pray, God will lead us. Just like what Larry said today, God will open doors or close doors in keeping with his will for us. We have to be before him in prayer. Do not lose connection with the head. When we come to chapter 2, we're going to see that. That was one of the problems with Colossians. That's why, although they demonstrated faith, hope, and love, Paul says that you're having a problem that you hope. And the reason why they're having problem in the area of the hope is because they had lost connection with the head. As a result, they were open to anyone who comes in with any kinds of ideas, any kinds of foolishness, anything that makes me feel good, that makes me feel happy, we're open to it. That's what the people want. They lost connection with the head. Beloved, my prayer for Calvary Bible Church is that you do not lose connection with the head. Ray Stedman makes an excellent comment on this passage. This is what he says. 
When the church functions properly, it is, a, it is far and away the most powerfully effective body on earth. That is what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, as individuals, we should remember this as well. It doesn't only talk, it doesn't only refer to us when we gather like this. Because the church isn't in this building, isn't this building. The church is when you scatter to your work, to your school, your community, whatever it is. Who are you listening to in the community? Who are you responding to? Is it Jesus Christ or it is the idea or is it the ideas and philosophies of men? We must be listening to our head, Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, Paul says that there are two reasons why Jesus is head of the church. First, he, that is Jesus, is the beginning. The beginning of what? Most people say it's the beginning of creation. He says that, but he isn't repeating that here. When he says in this verse that he's the beginning, he's talking about the fact that Jesus is the beginning of the church of, what he, of which he is the head. He is the one from whom the, from whom the church gets its life. From the risen life of Jesus flows the new life of the church. Read Ephesians 4 for this. It wasn't until he was raised from the dead that he became head of the church. And when he became head, what did he do? The first thing he did was to give gifts of man to the church, to establish the church and to build the body up. Jesus Christ is the beginning of the church. This is, this is the new creation. And sometimes when we read 2 Corinthians 5.12, it says, If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We only think of ourselves as individuals. But he's also talking about being a part of the new creation we call the church. We are the living stones in this living church. But Paul also says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Many take that to mean that he's the first one ever to be resurrected. Now, of course, as I said, that is true. The resurrection of Jesus is the only genuine physical resurrection that has ever occurred. Lazarus and all the others came back from the, who came back from the dead were simply resuscitated. They came back to the same life they had left, but they eventually died again. But this was not so with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was truly resurrected. He came from the grave as a far higher level than he went into that grave, and he was given a glorified human body. It was subject to different laws and governed by different principles than a normal, non-glorified body. This is what Paul calls the first fruit of them that slept in 1 Corinthians. I wish I could get this across to you. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he brought into existence a sphere of life that never existed before. A sphere of life that never existed before. And the glorious thing is that all of us who receive Christ as our Savior become a part of this resurrected life, this resurrected sphere of living that never existed before. That's the new creation. If you want to talk about the real being translated into the kingdom of God, that's it. The resurrected life of Jesus Christ. An entirely new sphere of existence that never existed before and can only be entered into and experienced by those who place their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone as the supreme sovereign of the universe. Is he yours?
Now the verse goes on, but the time is gone as well. He is also not only the sustainer of the universe, he is also the reconciler of all things. The Bible tells us that God used him to reconcile the world, everything, not only the world, but everything in heaven and on earth to himself through his blood. We've got to come back to this. Because the whole question was, even the things in heaven had to be reconciled. Even things in heaven had to be reconciled. And that's what all history is moving towards. And everything in heaven and earth will be reconciled to God. What does that mean? That means that every thing opposed to God will cease their opposition. There will be nothing out of kilt, as it were, in God's creation. Everything will be at peace with God. No problems. No one challenging it. No tears. No sickness. Nothing like that. Everything that has a taint, a tinge of sin will be done away with. God will have peace with everything that Jesus Christ ever created. It's not true now. The earth right now is cursed and is opposed to man, if you want. But all of this will be done away with. It's all through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know... I was reading the other day of some advice that, uh, what is the fellow named Rick Warren, gives to churches in order to have the unchurched people come to church. He doesn't call them unsaved anymore. They're unchurched. He says one of the first things is don't call people, don't say do away with the term saved. Don't say that people need to be saved. Now, put that in Scripture. Jesus Christ came into the world to save the unchurch. Isn't that something? That's what he's saying. Don't call them unsaved. Do away with the cross. If Rick Warren would come in here and he wants to give advice as to what we should do to get people to come in, move that thing from there. Move all the symbols of the cross. Take it away. Take it away. That's where they're putting the emphasis on, reaching the unchurched. It's not the sinner anymore. It's not the unsaved. It is the unchurched. Beloved, listen carefully. The blood of Jesus Christ didn't come just to have people go to church. The blood of Jesus Christ was saved to redeem them from their sin and to save them from an eternal hell. Jesus Christ shed his blood so that all of creation, including you and me, could be at peace with God. Nothing in between. Perfect harmony. Perfect peace. That's Jesus Christ. As the master of creation, he lords it over all. He controls everything for the glory of God. He holds it together by the power of his word. He's head of the church. He guides the church to glorify the Father as well. And it's all based on his sacrifice on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. I trust that you here this morning have all been cleansed by the blood of Christ through faith in him. If not, I invite you, I encourage you to do that today. Place your belief, your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, as the only one who can save you. 
the Spirit of God is speaking to your life, this is the time to do it. Friends, remember this. You cannot be saved any time you want to be. You can only be saved when the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. And if he's doing that right now, you can be saved right there where you're sitting simply by saying, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. Father, thank you for your word. We know that we have not in any way done justice to this magnificent passage of Scripture. But this is your word, written by your Holy Spirit, and it focuses on your Son. So we pray that your Spirit might use the word to glorify your Son in our lives. And if nothing else today, Father, cause us to get a new vision of who Jesus Christ is and cause us to worship him for who he is. The God, the supreme God of creation, the sustainer of the universe, the reconciler of all things to God. Help us, Father, to worship him as we should. And all of God's people said, Amen. alone my hope is found he is my life my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm on heights of love on depths of peace when fears are still striving
Father, we pray that as we leave now, we might leave determined to do that very thing, to stand in the power and the might of Jesus Christ, because he is the sovereign one. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the reconciler. He is our savior. And we bow before him this morning and we worship him as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Bless us, your people, now as we leave today, we pray. And might we honor this Jesus in all that we do, in all that we say. We pray that as we come out this evening, our Father, that we might be blessed as Larry ministers to us through song. Use your message through him to speak to the hearts of the saved and the unsaved alike to the end that Jesus Christ may be glorified. And all of God's people said, Amen.